We are back in our session talking about the scriptures. We saw the Islamic position on the Quran and the challenge to the Christian scriptures in the last hour. What can we say? Let me first give you an example, an encounter I had with a Muslim leader many years ago. Now, I, for some of you watching this program around the world, uh, this example might be a bit offensive, and I apologize for that, but that's the conversation that we had. I was attending a class on Islam at a university in Atlanta. The class was put together by the Muslim Student Association. And the Imam of a mosque was talking about the authenticity of the Quran versus the authenticity of the Bible. He said, the Quran is 100% pure and authentic. It has been perfectly preserved. He says, Christians also say their New Testament is 99.99% authentically preserved. He said, and then he had a cup of water on his table. He said, if I tell you that this water is 99.99% pure water, but it has one drop of urine in it, would you drink that water? 99.99% pure is not good. Text must be 100% pure to be a valid word of God. How should we start interacting with these challenges? In my presentation so far, I have stuck to defending the biblical position. But I think it's important at this point to, at this point in, in, in our presentation on the challenges of Islam, to kind of give a word back to Islam. Muslims really have some false ideas about their scriptures, and we must not leave that go unchallenged. I will be very brief, but I want to make some important comments about the text of the Quran. Now, I know that these materials that, that are the critical scholarship on Islam, early uh, origins of Islam, you have already covered that in, in previous courses. But I want to refer to another issue here. Many times Muslims dismiss Western scholarship. That, oh, these Western scholars, we don't care what they say in their research against the Quran. They just want to undermine our faith in Islam, and so we don't care you know, what, what they write and publish. But I want to approach this from a little different angle. I think it's important for us, as we talk to Muslims, to tell them to be honest with their own sources. Not what Western non-Muslims are saying about the compilation of the Quran or the origins of Islamic history, but what Islamic sources have said on this issue. I want to refer to an article written by an Iranian Muslim scholar who teaches at Princeton University. His name is Hossein Modarresi. He did his traditional Islamic scholarship in Iran and did another PhD, another doctorate at Oxford University. And he's written an article called Early Debates on the Integrity of the Quran. And this is what he is trying to portray in this article. He says, Sunnis say that Shiites believe the, the Quran has not been perfectly preserved. Traditionally, the smaller sect in Islam, Shiite Islam, they have claimed that some verses about Ali were deleted in the Uthmanic version of the Quran. So we even see that within Islamic history, there have been debates whether the Quran has been perfectly preserved or not. But the point this article is making is this, that it's not Shiites who've said that. These challenges have also been going on among Sunni Muslims. Today, when Muslims talk about the Quran, they are completely censoring the literature in their own early history. 
They want to tell you we have a perfectly preserved Quran and everybody believes it. No scholar challenges that. We heard that in the previous session. But I want to quote you from this article that says, no, many Muslim leaders doubted whether the Quran was perfectly preserved in the very beginning of Islam. So this is what Mudarrisi gives as some examples. He says, Sunni literature contains many reports that suggest some of the revelations had already been lost before the collection of the Quran initiated by Abu Bakr. It is reported that Omar was looking for the text of a specific verse, and he just remembered it very vaguely. And he found out that the only Muslim that had memorized that verse clearly had been killed in a battle. And so he was very sad that that verse was lost. Omar himself had a collection of a Quranic verse on stoning as the punishment for adultery. But that verse never made it into the Quran. And there's a tradition from Prophet's wife, uh, Ayesha, that an animal went and ate the leaves of the Quran that had those verses on it. Omar also remembered other verses that he thought had dropped out from the Quran or that they were completely lost. Passage that Omar remembered in the Quran that talked about being dutiful to your parents. And other Muslim authorities confirm Omar's suspicion. The great Muslim commentator Anasabna Malik remembered that some verses were revealed, but they were later deleted from the Quran. Omar's son, a very pious Muslim by the name of Abdullah, made this comment. He believed, this not, these are not some marginal figures in the early history of Islam. These are the leaders of the community that today Muslims accept them and respect them. Omar's son, Abdullah, who had a reputation for being very learned and pious, believed that much of the Quran had perished before the collection was ever made. Other reports about the Uthmanic version of the Quran uh, are also available in Islamic, er, early Islamic history. Uh, there were reports by various Muslim uh, authorities that Surah 98 was different than the one that made it into the Uthmanic version. Other authorities have said Surah 33 was much longer uh, than the one that we have in the Uthmanic version. Now, these are not claims made by one person in early Islam. These were claims made by various authorities in early Islam. One authority had said that he, had, he saw that 70 verses were missing in the official text of Uthman in Surah 33 that he himself used to recite. One early authority said that 70 verses did not make it into Surah 33. 73 verses that he used to recite before you know, it appeared as official version in the Uthmanic recension. Uh, again, Malik ibn Anas made this observation about Surah 9. Malik ibn Anas is the founder of one of the four legal schools of Islamic thought, very prominent figure in Islam. He believed that Surah 9 of the Quran was one-third or one-fourth of what it was at the time of the Prophet. There are reports that Surahs 15 and 24 had different lengths before the Uthmanic recension. Abu Musa al-Ashari recalled the existence of two long surahs that were no longer in the Uthmanic version of the Quran. And again, many authorities reported various surahs that were missing or were shorter in the official version. And it's also very well known, even in early Muslim history, that one of the trusted companions of Prophet Muhammad by the name of Ibn Mas'ud. This was a companion that the Prophet had said, learned the Quran from him. 
his, copies of, his copy of the Quran did not have surahs 1 and surahs 113 and 114. Now, I'm just, I didn't even go into all the details. I'm just giving you some of the highlights of some of these reports. The fact of the matter is that there is more than one drop of urine in the cup of the Quranic transmission. And uh, we cannot ignore these historical facts. Um, Arthur Jeffrey was a prominent scholar of Islam at Harvard University. And back in 1937, he published a very important work on the text of the Quran, materials for the history of the text of the Quran. And this was actually a translation of a medieval Muslim work on the topic of the textual transmission of the Quran. And Islamic commentators and legal scholars report in early Islamic traditions that there were more than a dozen prominent Muslim leaders that had their own copies and versions of the Quran. This is Islamic history. This is not what Westerners are saying about Islam. And it's Islamic history that says Uthman made one official version and then ordered the rest of them to burn their copies. So when Muslims pride themselves that today the Qurans are all the same, first of all, that's not true anyway. But the point is, even if we, even if we accept Islamic version of these accounts, a great deal of destruction of the evidence took place in early Islam. So this is nothing to be very proud of. And so I believe that we should point this out as our first response to Muslims who challenge the authenticity of our scriptures. Now, the second point I want to uh, go into, uh, if you remember in some previous sessions when we were talking about sin, I said, I usually do not use the Quran as, a, as to, to witness to Muslims or to respond to their challenges. But I said there are two exceptions. The first exception was on the issue of human sinfulness. The second exception is on this point. Now, what do I mean by this? I use the Quran itself to respond to the Islamic challenge against the Christian scriptures. I use the Quran to respond to the Christian challenge, to the Islamic challenge of Christian scriptures. Why do I do that? Because we hear this everywhere that Muslims say the Bible has been corrupted. But I want to challenge them whether that's the position of the Quran. This is my point in a nutshell. Muslims say the Bible's been corrupted. I want to see if this is what the Quran says. Because unlike what Muslim apologists say about the Bible, the Quran has very positive things to say about the Bible. So the Muslim position is not consistent with their own scriptures. And that's why I believe it is valuable to know what the Quran says about the Bible and use it in response to the challenges of Islam. The problem with the Muslim position is what the Quran says on the subject. Let me just give you a brief overview and then we will, I want us to look at some Quranic verses. The Quran refers to the Bible as the book of God. The Quran refers to the Bible as the word of God. The Quran calls the Bible a light and guidance to man. The Quran calls the Bible a guidance and mercy. And there are many other adjectives described that the Quran puts its stamp of approval on the previous scriptures. The Quran repeatedly tells its readers that it has come in confirmation of the previous scriptures. Muslims are commanded to believe in the previous scriptures. 
Muhammad is even encouraged by God to test the genuineness of his own message with the previous scriptures. And then my favorite verse of the Quran, Christians and Jews are commanded to stand fast on their own scriptures. I want, I want you to pay very attention to what I'm going to say next. I tell Muslims, this is why I am not a Muslim. The Quran says it has come in confirmation of the Bible. The Quran says this is the same message as of the previous scriptures. The Quran tells Jews and Christians to stand on their own scriptures. The Quran says no one can change the words of God. And the Quran says to Muhammad, if you, you want to know that this is the truth, go check it out with the contents of this book. So when I read the Quran, and based on its own recommendation, I go to this book, I see that this book leaves no room for another revelation after it. Because this claims to be God's final word to humanity. And this is why, what I believe the Quran involves itself in a contradiction. That's what the Quran says. It's the same message as this, in continuity and confirmation of this. And if you don't believe it, go check it out. And when you check it out, as we have seen in this uh, last few sessions, there is hardly any similarity. Now, let's look at some verses. Because, uh, as I said, many Muslims themselves don't know what the Quran says. I want to just look at a few passages, but there are a lot, it's a lot more than these. Surah 4, verse 136. This is, again, one of those common verses in the Quran. Again, might be a little bit different in yours. It says, O you who believe, believe in God and his apostle and the scripture we has sent, which he has sent to his apostle and the scripture which he sent to those before him. A similar uh, affirmation in the Quran, Surah 2, verse 136. Say ye, we believe in God, and the revelation given to us and to Abraham, Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, and the tribes, and that given to Moses and Jesus. We make no difference between one and another of them, and we bow to God. Surah 29, verse 46. Another popular verse among some Muslims. Surah 29, verse 46. And dispute ye not with the people of the book, except with means better than mere disputation. And then later in the verse says, but say, God is telling Muslims and Muhammad, this is what you say, we believe in the revelation which has come down to us and in that which came down to you. Surah 10, verse 94. This is the verse that God is assuring Prophet Muhammad with. If thou wert in doubt as to what we have revealed unto thee, this is God talking to Muhammad, if you are doubting what it is, what I have revealed to you, then ask those who have been reading the book from before thee. The truth has indeed come to thee from thy Lord. Muhammad, if you want to test and confirm the truthfulness of this message in the Quran, check it with the previous scriptures. And then my favorite verses in the Quran. I do have favorite verses in the Quran. Surah 5. My most favorite verse, well, I'll, let me read the, the one before that. Surah 5, verse 69, and again, in your version, might be a, diff, a bit different, but it says, If only they had stood fast by the law, the gospel, 
and all the revelation that was sent to them from their Lord, they would have enjoyed happiness from every side. Again, encouraging that, you know, wish Jews and Christians would have stood fast by what we have revealed. And then my favorite verse is verse 71 in my Yusuf Ali version. Surah 5, verse 71. 71. Say, O people of the book, say, O people of the book, you have no ground to stand upon unless you stand fast by the law, the law meaning the Torah, you stand fast by the law, the gospel, and all the revelation that has come to you from your Lord. That's what the Quran says. Christians are commanded to stand fast on the Torah, the angel, and what God has revealed in them. The Quran gives this command in the time of Prophet Muhammad, and this is the dilemma of Islam. Because if our Bibles were corrupted before the time of Prophet Muhammad, why is God telling Jews and Christians at the time of Muhammad to stand fast by the law and the gospel? And if the Bible was corrupted after this revelation, well, we have manuscripts that even predate Islam by several centuries, manuscripts of our entire Bible that basically are the basis of our modern Bible translations. And we, we can see them, and we can see that there is no disagreement between the ancient manuscripts and our modern Bibles. So that's the dilemma of Islam and the Quran. This book has come in confirmation and continuity with this book and tells Christians you better stand fast on this book. And when we go to this book and stand fast by it, we cannot accept this book as being from God. That's the dilemma. Now you might say, well, Sassan, then, why do Muslims, are, why are they so emphatic about the corruption of the Bible? And this is, again, the answer in a very simple way is this. And we can go in more detail if we have the time, either in this session or the next session, about how this thing happened in history. The answer is this, that it seems very clear that Muhammad was not very familiar with the content of the Bible of his day. He assumed that God has sent previous prophets with scriptures, and he was first the prophet to Arabs with the new scripture for the Arab people. These are actually claims that the Quran itself makes that Muhammad was a prophet sent to Arabs with God's word in Arabic for the Arab people. And then as his message kind of grew and he felt that he was a more universal figure and the final prophet, he still believed that, that basically his message is the same as the previous scriptures and previous prophets. And then, so Muslims also, the, the first generations of Muslims, they didn't know about other scriptures. And so they accepted the basic Quranic affirmation of the scriptures of Jews and Christians. Then as time went by, and Islam spread, and Muslims came in contact with Christians and Jews and the scriptures of Christians and Jews, they started to become familiar with the contents of the Bible. And gradually they realized that the Bible doesn't seem to match the Quran and Islamic beliefs. At first, they came up with the belief that the Bible has been corrupted in its meaning by Jews and Christians. They, were, they believed that Jews and Christians had the words of God, but they misinterpreted their scriptures. And in fact, they would limit those misinterpretations to saying there are verses about Prophet Muhammad that Jews and Christians are not interpreting correctly in referring to the Prophet. 
And then, again, as time went by, they realized that, no, just to say that they are misinterpreting the text, that's not enough. The text is really saying something very different. And then, at the final stage, they came up with the view that the Bible was corrupted in its very text, in its very words. That view really didn't take shape till the 11th century, about 350 to 400 years after Muhammad. So first we see that the Quran is very positive about the Bible. And then Muslims came to realize that you cannot reconcile both books. So they started saying, well, the Bible has been changed in its meaning by its interpreters. And then they had to say, no, 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 the whole text has been changed because these two books cannot be reconciled in so many places. And that has become the prominent position of Islam to this day. Our time is finished for this session. We will continue our discussion in our next session.